It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law, featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to malkbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. What you believe about politics really matters, but why? Today I will be speaking with David Koises, the author of Political Visions and Illusions, a survey and Christian Critique of Contemporary Ideologies, which is now in its second edition. David is also a fellow in politics at St. George Center for Biblical and Public Theology after teaching politics for 30 years at Redeemer University College in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. David, a very, very warm welcome to this show. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. I just have to tell our listeners right away, I am reading your book and it's it's hard to separate everything out. I, I find I'm underlining almost everything right now, which really means, once you get done with it, it means very little. It, there is just so much in this book that uh, speaks to what's going on today that I'm just thrilled to have you on this show. Um, as we were talking beforehand, we'll never get through all of the things that you've been working with, but let's, let's get started. So let's just start with... Um, why did you write Political Visions and Illusions? And who's going to benefit from reading this? Yes, uh, I, I started writing it because uh, back in the late 80s when I first started teaching, I was charged with uh, teaching a course in uh, modern political ideologies. And back then, this was before the Internet, of course, and I went through all of these orange copies of books and print to try to find something that did what I thought needed to be done, and I really couldn't find anything. So it was a few years later that I started writing uh, what would eventually become Political Visions and Illusions. The, uh, the first edition came out in 2003, and then um, uh, certainly by, um, oh, by 2017, I thought that, that a new edition needed to be put together because things had changed since the, the turn of the millennium, and I thought that, um, that uh, we needed to take these into account. So uh, before we go on to uh, what things have changed, um, what is the idea of political visions and illusions, and why do you use the term illusions? Yes, um, it, the, the whole idea, the whole thesis behind the book is that the various political ideologies that, that we know in the, in the contemporary world, such as liberalism, conservatism, uh, nationalism, uh, democratism, which is a word you don't hear very often, uh, and socialism, I think that they are, are um, subsets of a much larger category of idolatry. And to uh, idolatry means that we take something that's genuinely good in God's creation, but we make too much of it. We we, we worship it. And I think in in, in in its own way, each of the ideologies uh, is, um, is is an example of this kind of idolatry. So individual freedom is a very good thing, and liberalism is not wrong for um, uh, esteeming it. But uh, uh, liberalism becomes the the be all and the end all. Everything else, including ordinary social mores, um, have to take a have to take a back seat to individual freedom and and self seeking. 
Well, we certainly see that uh, today. When you mention that, I'm, I'm drawn back to Genesis 1 and the idea that um, in the beginning God created. And that seems to me to be the uh, antidote to this idea of autonomy or, or individual freedom with no restraints. Um, and yet it seems to me that even in the church, uh, we've been so influenced by this idea of autonomy in our culture. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I think autonomy is, is quite a bit more than just, uh, than just freedom, because autonomy means that we live by our own rules and we do not answer to anybody else. Um, and I think today that has degenerated into a kind of um, um, you know, seeking of our own desires. And we, we are somehow deemed to have the right to seek our own desires and, uh, um, and other considerations, uh, other people take a back seat. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll develop that a little bit more as we go on. You argue in the book that political ideologies really are intrinsically religious. What do you mean by that? Well, everybody is religious. Sometimes we hear uh, the press or the, the media talk of people of faith as though that's a particular subset within the larger category of, uh, of human beings. But everybody follows a faith of some sort. So um, um, if, if you're an agnostic or, an, or atheist, if you claim to be such, um, you are really worshiping something. It's something other than the one true God. So each of us is worshiping something. And if we're not worshiping the one true God, we're worshiping something within his creation. And we're esteeming that thing higher than, than the creator. This is something that St. Augustine understood already um, 1,600 years ago. And I think it's something that... Um, uh, that has had an impact on the way that the political ideologies function in the present world. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, the law firm of Malk and Baker. If you're just tuning in, make sure to visit MalkBaker.com to hear the rest of this interview. Today, we're speaking with David Koisis, author of Political Visions and Illusions, and we were talking about how political ideologies or ideologies in general can actually be idolatrous or uh, religious, and I want to go back. So you mentioned Augustine uh, recognizing this some 1,600 years ago. What did Augustine have to say about that? Well, Augustine said that, that, that virtue is the right order of things loved. So, you know, we love God, we love the, the things of his creation, but, but we love them in, in, an, in an ordinate way, in other words, in the, in, in the proper order. So God comes first, uh, we love our families, we love the people that God has given to us, we love uh, perhaps our homelands, or whatever those may be, and those, those are all proper loves, but, but ultimately if we, if we love the things that God has created above God himself, then we are, then we are um, um, basically being disobedient. Well, let me, let me take this a little bit different direction, because um, you make a, a comment in your book that... Um, the terms left and the right aren't really useful terms anymore in, in what they describe. Tell us a little bit more about that. And then I'm going to want to go in and, and maybe look at um, how conservatism, which is something that I subscribe to, how I might be turning that into a, an ideology. So what about left and right? Why are they no longer helpful terms? Well, because they can't really tell us about the... Um 
about the, the 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 real divisions amongst the ideologies. You know, to, to people conventionally thought of of national socialism or Nazism as a um, as a rightist ideology, but it, but in many respects it, it was very revolutionary after it um, took hold of Germany in the 1930s, and it it, it upended the society. It plunged the world into a into a hugely devastating war that killed scores of millions of people. You know, that's not very conservative. Um, if, if it's right-wing, um, that, that doesn't really tell us very much. And, and in addition, I think people who, who, are, who accuse somebody of being a right-winger or a left-winger, they always take the worst. So any, anybody who's on the left um, who might consider himself or herself to be on the left, if, uh, then they're guilty of Stalin's crimes. Or anybody who's on the right, or even a moderate rightist, is somehow guilty by association of the crimes of Adolf Hitler. And so and, and I, I, I don't think it really, it, it doesn't help discussion. Very often these labels are used to, to, to pigeonhole people and to put an end to discussion. And we see a lot of that uh, ending of discussion. So let's go back. Um, I'm a conservative. How might I be taking my uh, ideology and, use, and turning it into um, idolatry? I'm a Christian and, and I don't want to do that, but, but we live in a culture that is, is uh, pretty confusing right now. How might I be doing that? Right. Well, conservatism is a, is is a bit different from the other ideologies that I um, that I deal with in this book because I don't I don't see a kind of redemptive narrative coming through in conservatism as as as, as I do in liberalism, socialism, and nationalism and, and and the like. But I think the 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 danger of conservatism is that you take a tradition, a particular tradition, and then that becomes the god, if you will. So everything that that departs from that tradition is something which is is um, ipso facto bad. And so, um, you know, a, a, a good example of a tradition which which ought to have been gotten rid of was the tradition of uh, racial segregation in the American South prior to the 1960s. Um, you know, people could have stood on tradition and say, "Well, this is what was handed down to us. We're going to stick with that without evaluating it." So, oftentimes, I think of conservatives being very. Uh... Uh, in the United States, for instance, being very, well, I'm for the Constitution and for the rule of law and those kinds of things. So uh, how does that play into um, idolatry? Well, I, I think being in favor of, of the Constitution and the rule of law, hopefully that's something that, that would tie all citizens together. So I don't think that would be characteristic of any, any one uh, particular um, ideological vision. All right. Well, well, you had mentioned um, if the division isn't left and right, where is the division then? What sorts out ideologies from, uh, I don't know, if all things are religious, true religion? Right, right. Well, I, I, I think it's at the point in which we esteem something that's good in God's creation and we, and we start to make too much of it. So, um, you know, it could be tradition. We can't live without tradition. You know, um, everything that we do is uh, comes out of a particular tradition. Um, you know, you you can't um, uh, personal freedom is is a very good thing. You know, these are all things that we that we would that we want to um, uh, to to protect in in some fashion. But I think um, um, you know, it's it's. I, I think if if again if if we start to run too far with them, if um if they start to mow down ordinary communities and their and their uh, their customs and mores then I think we know that we're, that we're in, in highly dangerous territory. 
Coming up, we will talk further with David Koizis, author of Political Visions and Illusions, about the idolatry evident in modern politics and how we can align our political views with the scriptures. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney at Malkin Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, we're speaking with David Koizis, author of Political Visions and Illusions, a critique of modern ideologies, uh, including the ones I'm sure that both you and I are walking around with in our heads, and talking about their religious nature and contrasting them to what uh, the scriptures actually teach. So David, welcome back on this weighty topic. Um, when we'd left off before we were talking about ideologies, let's go back in. You wrote uh, a sequel or a update to the book in around 2000. Why did you update it and what's changed? Yes, the second edition just came out in May of, of this year. And uh, and basically, um, I, I came to, to believe in the years after it was pub first published in 2003 that the the religions uh, that the ideologies are based in uh, actually have something of a, of a salvation story to them, a uh, redemptive narrative, if if you will, and that's what I tried to um, include in in this new edition. So if if you're a liberal, then you'll believe that there's some kind of um, of, of freedom that, that uh, was taken away. Oppression is perhaps the, uh, the counterpart to the fall into sin. Uh, salvation comes to be seen as the uh, uh, regaining of this freedom, and then, and, then, um, the, uh, um, and then things will be better after that point. So there's a kind of redemptive story that underpins each of these ideological visions. So I'm looking at your book right now, and, and you would uh, categorize the redemption story of the gospel or the biblical redemptive story as creation, the right. fall, redemption, and then consummation. That's and right. so you're saying that, that um, the political ideologies have their own narrative which would parallel those. And do you see a right. religious basis in the fact that these um, political ideologies have uh, a redemption or a narrative that's similar to that in the gospels? Oh, yes. Yes, and that's uh, it, it's easy to see in Marxism. I think that's that's something that um, um, a lot of people have understood for a very long time that Marxism is a kind of a kind of Christian heresy, if if you will. So in, in Marxism, there's a kind of primitive communism which might correspond to the Garden of Eden. There's a kind of initial division of labor that takes place, which is um, similar to the the fall into sin, and that brings about a class struggle. And then the revolution is counterpart to the return of Christ, and then the 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 class the society is brought into in, into being by this messianic proletariat or the, or the industrial working class. Um, update that a little bit. I think in, in chapter two you've also um, spoken a bit about cultural Marxism, which is a, a version or uh, Marxism 2.0 or something. Get, tell us a little bit more about that, and how, and how is that an ideology? Yeah, um, uh, Marxism, the, the classical Marxism is based on dividing humanity into two classes, the owners of the means of production and those who work for them. Um, cultural Marxism, it's, it's a controversial 
uh, uh, designation or label, and uh, um, you know maybe there's a better way to, to speak of it. But I think cultural Marxism, if you will, uh, revolves around the notion that uh, that the division in humanity between oppressed and oppressors is not necessarily economic, but it may be based on on something else. It might be based on gender. It might be based on uh, on on race. It might be based on on sexual orientation. And so how uh, or. Uh, any number of other things by which divisions occur, I, I would imagine. Um, uh, age could be another one. Um, it could be, or, or ethnicity, perhaps, would be would yes. be another possibility. Yep, or or anything really that that by which you could draw a narrative between oppressor and oppressed. That's uh, right. And, that's right. And bring in a, a redemptive story on it. So so with the uh, categories that you've mentioned. Um, race, gender, um, sexual orientation. How how does that narrative run? Yeah, that that narrative will run. That there's there's um, um, that may, may, perhaps there's a, there's a kind of primitive wholeness. And, um, you know, that, that's a little bit more difficult to discern. Um, I'm just trying to get a um, a grip on this myself. And then at some point, there's a division within humanity between an oppressing group and an oppressed group. Um, and then um, it, it leads to some kind of struggle that has to be um, has to be resolved in some way with the oppressed overthrowing the oppressors. And of course, it's not to say that there isn't real oppression. There, there, there is oppression in, in this world, but um, it, you can't divide the whole world into two discrete categories uh, with, and, and claim that some people are permanently on one side and, and permanently on the other. Um, Leslie Newbegin, I think, is is very good in in um, alerting us to the fact that that before the cross of Christ, we are all oppressors and oppressed simultaneously. Um, you know, each of us is is an, is oppressed in one situation, but we may be an oppressor in another situation, and that's something that I think this Marxian worldview cannot take into account very easily. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with David Quasis, author of Political Visions and Illusions. I just have to throw this in. If you do not have the book, uh, at the end of the show, we're going to tell you how to get it. I am absolutely spellbound by this book, and I think it's uh, it's not easy reading, but it's very, very uh, profitable reading, especially for the times we're in. Uh, David, taking a look at what you've written, the idea of idolatry, and what's going on in American politics, I know you're sitting there across the border in Canada, but, but what do you see? How, and, and you see that uh, the church is very involved in this as well. What do you see going on, and, and what, it, what are your words to us? Well, um, sitting from up here in Canada, my roots are actually in the States. I was actually born um, outside of Chicago. So I, where, I was where, born up since we're in Chicago, where outside of Chicago were you born? Yes, uh, I, was, I was born in Oak Park. Okay, so was I, by the way, but good. All right. Oh, okay. So back, yes. back to the question. Yes. Looking at American politics today, how, how are these um, ideologies uh, affecting the United States? And, and as Christians, how should, how should we be responding to them? Yes, I think, I think um, the, the difficulty that we see in the United States right now, and I think this is true in Canada uh, to some degree and other countries as well, is that, is that people tend to look at these ideologies as though they're simply collections of issues. 
And if you if you score right on a particular issue, then that, that puts you either with the angels or with the devils, perhaps. But I think what's happening is that people are not are not digging deeply enough. They're not looking into the into the spiritual roots of these particular political ideologies. You may have to uh, um, um, become co-belligerents. Uh, you know, fight alongside liberals or conservatives or socialists uh, for for um, p- particular purposes. But ultimately, I think we, we, we should be very uh, wary of identifying um, wholly with one of these ideological visions. Uh, you, you've mentioned that there are, I believe it's um, two particular um, Christian perspectives that uh, are very helpful in how we deal with our cultures. I think um, the Catholic social teaching associated with Pope uh, Leo the. Thirteenth, and also uh, Abraham Kuyper's traditions. How do these two help us navigate between uh, the conservatives and the liberals, or the left and the right, or the um, socialists, etc.? How do how do they help? Right. Well, they they, they do so by by recognizing the pluriformity of God's creation. Uh, by, by pluriformity, I mean that, that there's this diversity that's built into God's creation of things that are simply different from, from each other. Human beings are different from animals. Uh, um, um, copper is different from iron. Uh, um, um, schools are different from, from the state and from, and from church communities. And uh, to recognize this means that, that we, we accept this pluriformity of God's creation and recognizing that it all uh, holds together um, through through God in Jesus Christ, and I think in recognizing that, I think we're freed from the necessity necessity of looking for something within God's creation as a kind of uh, as a kind of linchpin to hold the whole thing together. I'm, I'm trying as as you speak that um, theologically, I go yes, but then I try to make how do I apply that in in um, my everyday living or or even in who I vote for next time. How, how does right. that work? What? How do how do I take that theory and and uh, apply? Well, let's not call it a theory. How do I take that truth and apply it? Right, right. Well, I think I think for most of us, it's just a matter of 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 living our lives. You know, um, um, taking care of our families, of doing the work that God God has given us. Uh, you know, recognizing our obligations to our to our civic communities as well, whether it's our our towns, municipalities, our states, uh, our our, um, our, uh, um, our our country, um, and recognizing that that these the claims that they have on us are all limited claims. So any any state that that argues that the state is the highest loyalty that anybody can have, well, that's that's tending towards totalitarianism, and and there there's no way that a Christian can possibly accept that. David, I'm going to have to continue this and, and have you back on the show. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. How do, how do we get a hold of your book and learn more about yes. what you're doing? Yes, it's, it's available at InterVarsity Press. You can find it online at their website. It's also um, available from, uh, from my favorite bookstore, Hearts and Minds Bookstore in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. And yep. you can find that quite easily online. And um, and you can find my uh, my blog at, at Byzantine Calvinist. You can look that up uh, by Google, and that's how you can find me. Very easy to find. Thanks again, David. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. 
or at maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Visit our website and subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter with legal updates, or call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. Thanks for listening. I'm Rich Baker, attorney with Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.